Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. So we continue now our series through the parables that Jesus told, where we're looking at those parables, those pointed stories, those stories that make a point within the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18 and verses 18 to 30, where Jesus tells this very, very short parable and, and this ludicrous parable about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And Jesus tells this parable in response to an encounter he's had with a certain ruler. The, the guy was probably a high official in the, the city. And church tradition has called him the rich young ruler. Because Matthew tells us he was young and he was most certainly very rich. And so we read in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow, what a question. I can tell you any uh, pastor, minister, or rabbi would love to be asked this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking the right questions. He's got the right priorities. He's asking the right person. So how does Jesus respond? Well, kind of like a deep freezer. He starts nitpicking about technicalities. He doesn't even criticize the person's question, but rather the greeting that precedes the question. And he says in verse 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. It's kind of like writing a letter. Thank you so much for your letter. You raised many interesting questions. But please tell me, why did you address me as dear sir? In what sense am I dear to you? And sir is equally inappropriate, for I haven't been knighted. And as for that comma, I can just imagine the, the puzzled look on the poor rich young ruler's face. The jury is instructed to strike the word good off the record, Mr. Just Slightly Above Average Teacher. And then Jesus responds. Just before he walks away abruptly, Jesus responds by answering his question directly, and he lists the Ten Commandments. It says in verse 20, you know the commandments, that's the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you honor your father and mother. Now, I bet you, if you were to get every single Christian pastor, minister, vicar that you know, and you ask them, what must I do to inherit eternal life, none of them will answer like Jesus does by listing the Ten Commandments. I mean, in what sense do you have to do something to earn your inheritance? Don't you just receive an inheritance? But Jesus merely lists the Ten Commandments. One, you shall not commit adultery. Two, you shall not murder. Three, you shall not steal. Four, you shall not give false testimony. Five, honor your mother and father. Six, Oh, well, he seems to have a few missing. It's a bit odd. Okay, so he's quoting the five commandments. You all heard of the five commandments, right? No, I haven't either. So it's a bit odd. Why, why is he missing 
some commandments. He's missing the first four that are all about loving God, uh, worshiping God, not using God's name in vain, and the last one about not coveting. So why does he miss those? It's a bit odd. Anyhow, the rich young ruler replies by saying, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Wow, that's impressive. You see, when a, when a, a Jewish boy turns 13, he becomes bar mitzvah, he becomes a, a son of the commandments. From that point on, he's personally responsible for living by all the commandments of God. And he quite self-confidently says, I have obeyed all of these since I was 30. Wow. And he's expecting Jesus to be very, very impressed with him. And for Jesus to say and to give him the insurance that he's looking for, that you have surely inherited eternal life. But Jesus doesn't give him the insurance he's looking for, but rather Jesus says that he is missing, he is lacking one thing. Or was it three? I can just, I can just imagine the scene. Jesus says in verse 22, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and to give, start again, you lacking two things. Sell everything you have, one, and two, give to the poor, and then three, come, oh, let's start again from the top. You are lacking three things, three things. Sell everything you have, one, two, give to the poor, and then three, come follow me. So what's he lacking? Is he lacking one thing or three things? Or is Jesus just bad at mass? Well, in reality, he's only lacking one thing. For Jesus is not giving us a, a checklist of requirements, more requirements, more things to do, more laws to follow. Rather, he is calling this guy to a whole new attitude, to reorientate his priorities and his loyalties in his life, to have a complete change of heart. He's calling this guy to, to leave everything behind in order to follow Jesus. And the shocking thing is that the one thing he is missing, the one thing Jesus is claiming he is missing is Jesus. Jesus is claiming he is that one thing. That he needs to be the center of that guy's life. He needs to be the most important thing in that guy's life. Loyalty to Jesus needs to be above all other loyalty. And so that explains why Jesus was nitpicking at the beginning. Jesus' question, why do you call me good, was in fact the precise answer to the rich young ruler's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, if he knew why it was right to call Jesus good, then he would have known that it was right to leave everything behind and to follow Jesus. And then he would have the one thing he was lacking, Jesus, at the center of his life. And also explains the five missing commandments, because those five missing commandments deal with the issue of the heart. The other five were all dealing with outward 
outward obedience, visible things that other people could see. But the five missing one was all about loving God, your relationship with God, and, and, and what we covered after, issues of the heart. See, outward obedience, he had no trouble with outward obedience. If you looked at him outwardly, he was sorted, but his problem was his heart. His heart was in the wrong place. And when he heard this, verse 23, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He became sad firstly because he comes to the realization that he cannot earn his way into eternal life. He can't earn his way into eternal life. You see, he came to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hoping Jesus would say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. In which case, he, with all his money, would have no trouble doing what Jesus told him to do. And then he would be able to say with all self-confidence, I have earned God's forgiveness. I have earned my way into eternal life. He has no problem with a checklist spirituality. Do this, tick this box, and you're okay. But when he's called to have a whole reorientation, a whole reordering of his attitudes and his priorities and a whole new heart, letting Jesus be the center of his life, he finds that just too hard. And so he walks away sad. Secondly, he walks away sad because he loves his money and his possessions more than he loves God. Money was his God, his idol. He coveted money. And when Jesus tells him to sell everything, Jesus is putting his finger on his idol and it made him very uncomfortable. So he walks away sad because he's not prepared to give up his God, his idol, his money. And it's at this point that Jesus tells us his parable. And we read in verse 24 and 25, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, many commentators have tried to soften Jesus' parable by saying that there was a a gate, a very small gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And it was very difficult for for camels to get through this gate unless they took off all their load and they had to bend down very low and then they could get through. But there's no evidence for that. There's absolutely no archaeological evidence or textual evidence that there was ever a gate like that that existed. So others have claimed, well, the the original Greek word that's translated camel camel, was actually uh, the Greek word for cable, uh, uh, for for rope. And so the the idea is trying to get a rope through an eye of a needle is very difficult, but not impossible. But again, there's no evidence for that. There's no textual evidence to support that. And both of these readings, both of these interpretations, totally miss the point of Jesus' parable. So what is the point of Jesus' parable? 
His point is this. It is impossible for a camel, the, the biggest animal in Israel, to get through the eye of a needle, which is the tiniest, smallest hole imaginable. It, it's simply impossible. And in the same way, and this is Jesus' big point, and in the same way, it is simply impossible for a rich person to be saved by trusting in their riches. You can't buy God's forgiveness. You can't buy your way into eternal life. God doesn't care about your money. He only cares about your heart. In fact, there is absolutely nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn God's forgiveness. Nothing. It's impossible. And if it's impossible for a rich person, then what chance does a poor person have? Now, of course, most of us, when we read this parable, we think, okay, so it's impossible for rich people. That must mean that poor people automatically are saved. Or, or we read, or at least it must be very easy then for poor people uh, to be saved. No one, none of the original hearers would have thought like that. They would have thought, if it's impossible for a rich person to earn God's salvation by doing things or by trusting in their riches, then, then what chance does a poor person have? This is reflected in the disciples' question we read in verse 26. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? If it's impossible for rich people, who then can be saved? The implied answer is no one. <laughs> no one. It's impossible for, it's absolutely impossible for anyone to save themselves. And that's why the turning point comes in verse 27 where Jesus says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. It is impossible for anyone to save themselves. We just can't do it. But with God, it is possible. We can't save ourselves, so God came in the person of Jesus and he died for us so that we could be saved. God did the impossible for us. And therefore, God's forgiveness and God's salvation is a free gift. There is absolutely nothing we need to do to earn it because it's a free gift. We just have to receive it. How do we receive this gift? Well, there's absolutely nothing we need to do for it. It's got nothing to do with outward appearances. It's got to do with the heart. God, you've got to come and put your faith in Jesus. You've got to acknowledge that you can't do it and put your trust in Jesus. And this is often very difficult for people to do because we all feel like we have this tendency that we want to do things to earn God's salvation, especially for rich people. 
who are self-confident, self-made, who've, who've made it by themselves. They don't accept any favors. They don't ask for any favors. They're proud of their achievements, and they do things for themselves. It's very hard to just admit, I can't do it, to humble yourself and say, I can't. It's impossible. God, please help. I put my faith in you. It's very interesting uh, that Jesus asked this rich young ruler to sell everything and give to the poor. I mean, he doesn't ask everyone that, does he? Zacchaeus, the dishonest tax collector, only sold half of everything he had and gave it to the poor. Why does he ask this guy to sell everything and give it to the poor? It's because money is his God. Money is his idol. He covets after money. It's in money that he finds his self-worth and his identity. And it's sucking the life out of him. It's killing his soul. You see, the problem with idols is they over-promise and they under-deliver. They promise you security and satisfaction and success and happiness and, and then they underdeliver, And you end up enslaved, entrapped to just wanting more and more and more and you're never satisfied. There's always something missing. I mean, this guy looked sorted. He looked absolutely outwardly. He looked perfect. He looked, I mean, he was young. He was rich. He was a ruler, that means he was powerful, he was successful, he had status. He, he was a godly guy, he was a man of integrity, he obeyed all the laws. Everyone looked up to him. I bet you he was also good looking and he had a great singing voice. You know what I mean? The kind of guy that has it all. The envy of everyone. If he was to walk in here now, we would all say, that's a great guy. I wish I was like him. He sorted. He had it all. Everything looked, but actually inwardly, inside, there was something missing. Jesus said he lacked something. Because idols overpromise and underdeliver. I can remember when I was uh, still a teenager, I would find my identity in sport. And I thought to myself, well, if I did well at sport, then, then people would like me, I'd be popular, I'd be well accepted. I, and that's where my identity was. And there were two sports that I excelled in. One was water polo, the other one was wave ski surfing. And I can remember making our school's first team for water polo. But nothing changed. Sure, I, I became more popular, I was very well liked, everything seemed on the outwards to be going well, but there was still something missing. And I can remember then going on to making the, the provincial team, the, the, the county team, but nothing changed. Eventually, I can remember winning the under-19 South African wave ski surfing competition. And I can remember them calling out my name as the winner and walking up onto the podium, lifting up the trophy, and everyone was cheering, and people were coming up to me and congratulating me. People I didn't even know were coming up to me and congratulating me, and I thought to myself, yes, this is what I've been looking for. 
I felt so popular, so accepted, so satisfied. I thought to myself, yes, yes, finally I found what I'm looking for. Until the next day, when I came to the realization that nothing had changed. You see, idols overpromise and underdeliver. It was some time after that that I, I went to church, and when I was there, I was confronted with the amazing love of God, that God loved me unconditionally, that God loved me so much that He died for me. And you know what the most amazing thing was? There was absolutely nothing I needed to do nor could do to earn that love. You know how mind-blowing that was for me? My whole life I'd been trying to do things to earn people's acceptance and love. And I've been trying to do well at sports so I would become popular and accepted and feel satisfied. But through Jesus' death on the cross, I discovered that God loved me unconditionally. That there was absolutely nothing I could do to make God love me more. And there was absolutely nothing I could do to make God love me less. And when I was confronted with this amazing love of God, it demanded a response from me. And I decided there and then to surrender my life to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God loves you. And God wants a relationship with you. So don't walk away sad like this rich young ruler. Yes, leaving everything to follow Jesus is costly. It is hard. Following Jesus is not easy. But ultimately, it is very rewarding. So don't walk away sad. How are you going to respond to Jesus' invitation to come follow him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe and amaze at your great love, that you love us so much that you try to save us from ourselves. We're so devoted to our idols where we think they're going to give us significance and satisfaction and security, but actually, Father, they're just, they're just killing our soul. And so, Father, we thank you that you call us to save us from ourselves, to give us true, lasting, eternal security and meaning. But, Father, we find it so hard sometimes to make that step, to let go of our idols and just to receive your love in that place your unconditional love, your profound love that transforms us, that satisfies us. And so, Father, today we want to say we want to, we want to leave everything behind to follow you. We want to surrender our lives to you. We want to follow you. We want to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We commit ourselves to following you afresh today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.